Thank you, Brother Don, and certainly uh, that was a great song. And thank you for the offertory song before that. That was wonderful. Great singing is uh, so important, isn't it? It prepares our hearts. Amen? Amen. <laughs> it, it opens our hearts to the preaching of the Word of God, and so we're thankful for good singing. Isn't it great that the judge of all the universe declared you righteous because you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? A declaration that cannot be changed, forever settled because of what Jesus Christ has done. Yeah. So thankful tonight to be able to be here. And of course, it's always been a joy to any time we would spend time with the LeBee family. And certainly, it's great to see them again. And then we're really blessed tonight to have Sherry and Emily with us. And they were in our church. She was two years, Emily was two years old. Sherry was older than that. Uh, in Wiesbaden, Germany, when we pastored the military church there. And so we're glad they're here tonight. Thank you for coming, and God bless you. It's good to see you again. And uh, God's given us, about everywhere we go, we would have people that have been in our ministry that uh, we would be able to see if we're preaching somewhere uh, in the nation. And so we're thankful for how God has given us that kind of family in Christ, you know, really all over the world. And so we're thankful tonight for... Uh, that opportunity to spend some time together and fellowship together and then to look at the Word of God together. So if you will, uh, stand with me again and turn to Luke 14, where we were this morning, Luke chapter 14. I'm just going to read... Uh, Verse 24 and 25, and then we'll get into the text that's there. Luke chapter 14, verse 24. Of course, this is the end of the message this morning where Jesus Christ said, I say unto you that none of those which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Of course, that was the parable of the great supper. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. And we're going to hear what he has to say. After I pray, let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to gather together on a Sunday evening, be in church, be where we can hear from you, be where we can have the opportunity to respond as you speak, and I pray that we will do just that. And thank you that you are a God who does all things well, and I pray that you might work a work in our lives that would bring glory to your name, and we thank you for the wonderful privilege of being able to be here at Canaan today, and pray you bless this church and bless their pastor as he ministers this week in Texas and on in Virginia. And watch over him and use him, we pray, and bring him back safely to the church. Meet with us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Our Lord had just left the Pharisee's house, and of course there he did not find any hospitality. He found guests whose behavior was wrong and that's where he gave the parable of the Great Supper. He showed in that parable, though he offered by grace wonderful privileges to those who receive it, he found rejection. He found those who were not willing to hear, were not prepared to respond, did not respect who he was and we live in a world today that is like that. Uh, God, to many people today, does not exist, but he does. 
and they will answer one day when they see him. God help us to help them understand that. And these have rejected him. And Jesus Christ comes out of the house and now we have great multitudes with him and they're following him, throngs of people, because he's kind of a phenomenon now because he's near the cross and he's done many, many wonderful things and crowds have heard about him. And so they're eager, eager to be near him and uh, to know uh, about him, to follow him. And really in their own eyes, they probably thought, we're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, but because we're following him, we're with him. And so in that setting, he turns around and gives, him, gives them some terms of discipleship. We find in verse 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, anytime God repeats himself in the scripture, it's for the purpose of emphasis. God's trying to get our attention. And he says that three different times. Look at verse 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So as he emphasizes that, he's giving them some terms that are non-negotiable. There's no bargaining with God. This is what he says. I need followers like this. These kinds of followers will help me fulfill my purposes in this world. And so as he, as he says these things, as he responds to those who are following him, he says, first of all, my first term that's non-negotiable is that you would love me and be loyal to me above all other love and loyalties upon this earth and even your own life also. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? My wife and I have been married 51 and a half years. That's wonderful. And we still like each other. <laughs> and we've worked 51 years together side by side. Now, if you think we never had any disagreements, don't kid yourself. Both of us are firstborns. Firstborns do everything well. If you have two firstborns together, they're going to conflict sometimes about what's the best thing to do. And that's the way it is. And God puts people together on purpose. And I'm thankful for that because you know, our ministry would never have been the success it was if God had not given me the wife he gave me. I love her. She loves me. But our love is to some degree tainted by selfishness. Every human relationship has an element of selfishness. Remember when you first met the one you were going to marry? And you said to yourself, I cannot love this person any more than I currently do. And that was nice. You loved them as much as you could at that time. But as time passed along and God gave you wonderful things to enjoy together, you found there was a lot more to it than that. Because it was more than just surface stuff. It was depth. But even then, even then, as Jesus Christ says of these followers who are 
clamoring around him and following him and in their own mind's eye saying, we're, uh, we're, we're your followers. He said, if you're our, my follower, then here's what needs to happen. You need to love me far more than anything else on this earth. What is the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. Upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love him because he first loved us. There's only one relationship in this world today that has perfect love and it's one-sided. It's God's love to us. But Jesus Christ is saying to these followers, these disciples who thought they were disciples, if you're going to be my disciple, then he didn't mean you shouldn't love your parents. He didn't mean you shouldn't love your children. He didn't mean you shouldn't love your wife or your husband. He didn't mean any of those things. What he did say, I want the kind of love from you that I have for you. And that'll be a challenge for the rest of our days. Because we're human beings. And we sure need the Holy Spirit of God Amen. to teach us how to love like we should. After the service tonight, you're going to be a part of a session, if you go, called Love and Respect. Do you know if either, either one of those are missing in a marriage, you can't experience what God wanted you to have? Right. Ephesians chapter 5 is very clear about that, that a husband does love his wife even as he loves himself. And the truth is, he does love himself quite a little bit. Just ask the wife. She knows. And she'll tell you. He loves himself and yet we're supposed to love them like we love ourselves and it says there see that a wife reverence her husband that doesn't mean fall down on your knees and worship his, the, him, the king sitting on the altar and on the throne excuse me I didn't mean that she knows that God's put him where he's put him she's going to cooperate with God to change him. Amen? Amen? She is going to cooperate with God because her submission first is to God. When you have love and respect, and by the way, you don't wake up every morning and say, I got it today! I got that respect. I'm going to give it out. I'll go on. Some, some silly thing comes up which is not worth discussing or debating, and all of a sudden, love and respect's out the door. And you have to start again. We're a frail bunch, aren't we? Jesus said, if you are going to be my follower, then first of all, I require that you love me far above all else. Well, wow. When I hear that, it means time to repent because that is a real challenge. That's what he said, though. And then he said, and his, and his own life also. Do um, you know something? <clears throat> I found out in 50 years of ministry that God can do a pretty good job of taking care of his own. 
if we just trust him and let him do a work that only he can do. And so he turns around to those following him and says, you cannot be my disciple unless your love for and loyalty to Christ is above all, above all else you love. And by the way, do you know what will happen when you put him where he belongs? All the other ones will get better. All the other loves you have will be stronger when he has the place that he deserves. God repeats for emphasis, he cannot be my disciple. He says, secondly, in verse 27, you'd be willing to bear your cross and come after me. The end of love for self. Um, <laughs> I don't see a sign-up sheet on the back table here in the foyer that says, uh, those who want to go to the cross. I don't see it. Nobody's signing up. If the list was there, there wouldn't be any names on there. Why? Because uh, we don't like that too much. And if you think I'm a circus act, it's because I've worked with military people for almost 40 years, and you've got to get their attention. Well, boy, it's quiet in here. Animation's okay, isn't it? Your song there is pretty animated. <laughs> Take up the cross. You know something? God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within you if you're saved, will reserve some cross time for you. Could be in your relationships. Could be in the job situation. It could be in the very fact that you think Life should rotate around you. And God says, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. By the way, parents, don't teach your children that everything is all about them. Teach them it's all about what God wants to do in their life. He said, take up your cross and follow me. That would mean that God would bring us to the end of things that we sometimes think are important to us so that we might be more useful in his kingdom. He said in verse 33, if you've, you, likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaken not all that he hath. He's not gonna take things away from you, but they do not gain importance like maybe they once did. You take any large crowd who hears those um, requirements, those conditions. You might hear them say something like this, can't we be his followers and listen to him and admire him and rejoice in his power without such drastic measures? Wouldn't that be okay? Yeah, that'd be okay. That'd be what, what to most churches are today. They're loving Jesus on their level, not on his. It's all right to express all the love you can for him. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But make sure you find out what his level is in that matter of following him. And so he gives two parabolic illustrations here in this text. And, 
And uh, he, in giving them, he's telling them the reason why his terms are so demanding. He never told them to count the cost. He just told them to come at all cost. The cost of earthly love, the cost of forsaking everything, the cost of the cross. And the words cannot be would mean that there's no bargaining in this. And so he says, and I'm going to put my glasses on. I do not like glasses, but I am 73. And once in a while, they require me to, if I want to read the scriptures properly, I will have to just use them. So let's see here. Uh, which of you, verse 28, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, was not able to finish it. You ever seen something like that? You ever met somebody who started many things and never finished anything? You know, he, he, said, he said, if, if you, he's talking about building, and you know, building is constructive work. If a man wants to do constructive work, then he sits down first and counts the cost. If he doesn't, probably his purposes or his goal will be frustrated and he will not be able to complete what he started. He uses a second parabolic illustration that follows that. What king going to make war against another king sits not down first and consulteth where he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the others get a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. If a man goes to war, a destructive work, and he's a wise man, he finds out whether if, if every man in his army is worth two men, he can fight the battle. But if not, he would be wise to send out an ambassador seeking terms of surrender. So Jesus Christ is saying, uh, he's giving these parabolic illustrations about building and battling. And he was saying, my purpose in this world is to build and to battle. That's why he said in Matthew 16 about the church. Uh, he said there, upon this rock, I'll build my church. He was talking about himself. He's the cornerstone. That's the building part of it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the battling part of it. He was saying, I'm here to build. And there will be battles along the way to be waged and won. Sherry, what year did you guys come to Beast Biden? What year? 2000. So pretty early on. I don't know if you remember, but it wasn't all that rosy early on. <laughs> Not because of you. <laughs> you go into a church, and they're used to doing things a certain way, and God's leading you to lead it in a way that he's placed upon your heart, you are going to find resistance. People don't like change. Even though they might rot in their pew forever and do nothing, they don't like change. Somebody who's called to preach has to be willing to build and battle at the same time. Just like Nehemiah in his day, 
He had a goal. He had a mission, and that was to build the wall. Lots of opposition. Lots of, within his own ranks, there was opposition. And yet in that, in all of that, he was able to accomplish what he set out to do. Because God gave him the ability to do it. He built and he battled and the work was completed. You understand that we pretty much get pretty settled in our lees if we've been around a while. It's like the mother eagle when the, when the, <laughs> when the eaglets say, this is so nice in this nest. That down is so wonderful. And then she starts taking the feathers out. And then the eaglet sits down and there's a prick there. It wasn't there before. You see, what's happening is she's taking out the comfort level so they'll get up on the edge and jump out and fly and accomplish what they were made for. Well, God does the same thing with us. And Jesus Christ is saying, he's saying, uh, <clears throat> you want to be my disciples? Here's my, here's my requirements. Because he is the victorious one. He is going to win. We can be overcomers through him that loved us. And so the victory is going to be won. But if it's going to be won... He didn't need that, but he does desire that. And that is that he would have the resources and men upon whom he could absolutely depend. He had depend upon them. That's what he wants. Uh, he wants uh, someone who doesn't follow him for a personal advantage. Somebody who uh, is not just trying to escape hell. Uh, not somebody who, uh, who is... Not committed. He wants somebody who's committed to his purposes to stand by him in the battle, to stand with him in the battle until the building is done and the battle is won. That's what he wants. And every pastor, and I pastored a long time. You know, like blessing somebody like John Dana LeBee is to me, continues to be. Uh, to have a man come alongside of and minister there in Okinawa when we were building and battling over and over again. Somebody with a... Well, it's like Paul said about Timothy. I have no man like-minded. The great apostle said that. The only one I can think of that I could send who's like me is Timothy. That means that number of those who are like that are very small. There are not many like that. Many love their own selves and love their own way. And so, so he, he, Jesus Christ is saying, I don't need a lot of people, but I do need some who I can depend upon. That's why Spurgeon, his, his uh, newspaper was called the, the Sword and the Trowel. If you don't think he faced challenges and London in his day, I mean, he followed some theologians at Metropolitan Tabernacle, and God did something amazing there, and he was a very young man when he went. Nehemiah built it and battled. So Jesus Christ turns and says to these crowds, 
I do, want, do not want followers to come after me for their own sake. I want those who are committed to my purpose. I have counted the cost. You haven't. Follow me. He's saying, I need quality over quantity. I need ones that I can depend upon. Notice what he says in the last two verses of, verse, of chapter 14. Salt is good. It is, isn't it? How many of you have used salt before you ever even check to taste anything? The salt shaker's there, and you know it's going to taste better if you put salt on it. Of course, one day you may have some health problems and high blood pressure and all that you have to deal with, but for the current circumstance, it tastes really good. I mean, salt is good. I mean, it tastes good. It flavors. It preserves. I mean, it does many wonderful things, but if it loses its savor... Uh, you ever tasted flat salt? It's awful. What do you do? You throw it on the ground. It was used to fill potholes and people trotted underfoot. And Jesus Christ is saying, don't become one who loses your savor and not fit but to be cast out. And hear what he says in closing. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's a challenge from our Lord. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.